to Thanos to Theos, hosted by Clark Phobes, Mike McGeary, and Kevin Yee. This podcast is for youth workers who are committed to reaching teenagers with the gospel of Jesus Christ, featuring conversations ranging from geek culture to systematic theology. Thanos to Theos is part of the Rooted Network family of podcasts. For more grace-filled, gospel-centered, Bible-saturated resources, be sure to find Rooted on the web at www.rootedministry.com. Hey guys, welcome back to the Thanos to Theos podcast. We are a podcast that, like the name implies, we love comic and nerd culture, uh, but we also love theology and we're also all youth pastors. And so for our podcast, we're here to talk about uh, things from comics to theology and even how all that intersects as we do youth ministry. Uh, Just introduce introduce ourselves again. My name is Clark and I'm a worship pastor in San Francisco, also doing college ministry and I did youth ministry for about 10 years. My name is Mike and I'm a youth pastor out here in Massachusetts and I've been serving in youth ministry for about 15 years. And this is Kevin and I'm a youth pastor and college and adults pastor here in Los Angeles. So we are here still in the midst of our quarantine in the midst of the coronavirus, COVID-19. And so as we continue to entertain ourselves and just find ways to hopefully keep you as listeners entertained if you're crazy enough to listen with us, one of the questions that we have to talk about is who is the most overrated superhero? Or or maybe we could say we're rethinking superheroes, so to speak. So let's start with Kevin. Who do you think is the most overrated superhero? I think that the most overrated superhero is probably Superman. Okay. But I don't know if I'm going to get in trouble for saying that because <laughs> Russell Moore loves Superman, apparently. <laughs> he's so does. Because he's an avid listener of our podcast. <laughs> he will yeah. be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we are going to win him over. <laughs> we will. <laughs> Not if Kevin says that Superman's overrated, though. Russell Moore, two of the three of us are good, faithful Baptists. <laughs> The Presbyterian, the Presbyterian is, is the one who just criticized Superman, mind wow, you. Wow, there's there's got to be some like theological <laughs> connection to that. All right, it's so not wa- like I don't love Jesus, guys. This is not a but Superman not a is the thing. Jesus figure in comic lore. All right, so why what what makes what makes what makes Superman overrated then? Superman is boring. So okay, well, hold up, hold up. So is there a question? <laughs> is there a difference between being overrated and overpowered? Yeah, yeah. I'm just thinking overrated. Like okay. people just love this person way more than they like, should. I don't understand why people love him yeah, so much. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. I don't All understand right. why people love him as much as they do. Okay, state state your case, Kevin. Uh, I just think Superman is boring. <laughs> I, the, honestly, like every single storyline with him is the same thing, right? And his secret identity makes no sense. Puts on glasses. <laughs> oh, those glasses. <laughs> Kryptonite is the only thing. You know what I mean? It's so predict. His storylines are so predictable. There's every villain comes very- across some trace of crypto- Kryptonite. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Just buy it on the black market if you have enough money. Yeah. Yeah. I I actually started reading um, the Rebirth series Mm. um, because we're in quarantine. Yes. And, you know, I haven't read a real book since I'm quarantined, but I've read a lot of comics. (laughs) Guilty as charged. Same here. I, like, legit (laughs) have not read a real book, but comics are on my iPad constantly. Oh, yes. Um, 
And yeah, I started reading the Rebirth of Superman series, and I was kind of just like, yeah, no, I'm going back to Marvel now. <laughs> so, Kevin, uh, I agree with you. So, I, my confession is, uh, my name is Clark, so the joke for me as a kid was always, oh, like Superman? Ha, 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 ha. Like, I haven't heard that one before. Oh. Mm-hmm. Um, but as much as like I've thought, like, oh, yeah, Clark like Superman, I also... Have to confess, I was never that compelled by him as a character. He's too perfect. Just, I'm just very monochromatic in the way he's portrayed. Like, yeah, he's just this like symbol of justice and like hum- standing for humanity. And it's just there's no interesting aspects to his storylines. I feel like there must be so much that we could dig into about why we don't like Superman, but we're gonna move on. All right, Clark, who do you think is? is overrated kevin's gonna hate me for this one um because honestly and i have a lot of friends who say batman is their favorite superhero like he there is none like him and i'm just like i don't get it like a he's just a man and b his only quote-unquote superpower is he's a billionaire he doesn't even make all the gadgets himself like tony stark does if tony stark and batman went toe-to-toe tony stark iron man would beat him um and He's just this, like, he's an anti-hero. I mean, let's be honest. He's He doesn't work with the law. No, He doesn't want to cooperate with justice. He beats, you know, walks to the beat of his own drum. I just don't, I don't get it. I mean, for as much as, for as interesting as his storylines are, as a superhero, I think he's overrated. But I do like the storylines centered around Batman. Oh my gosh. I love everything about everything you just said. And I love picturing Kevin just dying, just absolutely dying on the other side of this microphone. Yes. And all my college friends probably like hate me right now if they listen to this. All right, on behalf of everybody else, except for you two, apparently. Uh, but, uh, so did you also notice how I made Clark give this answer and not me? Well, because I know you we agree discussed with him. this earlier, and Clark and I totally agree. So, uh, yeah. Clark, you stated that yeah. so much better than I could have. Yes. One thousand Legitimately, every reason Clark gave for why he doesn't like Batman is exactly is why, why he's like the him, coolest yeah. character. Of exactly. course. That's of what course. I'm saying. The opposite of that is Superman. And yet you just said Superman's born. So, so. but here's the other thing. You can't have so, it both ways, guys. So I've, I, like I said, I've been reading lots of comics. And at Kevin's at, um, admonition, I have been trying to get into Batman. And I've read some of the Batman comics. And I have to admit, um, some of them were actually pretty interesting and really entertaining and very well written and really well drawn and everything oh yeah so it's not that i don't like batman yeah but like these these hypothetical situations of who would win in a fight batman versus captain america or batman Batman versus versus superman super like in what world does batman beat superman i mean are you kidding me Batman could take out the entire Avengers all on his own if he had enough prep time. Like, that is stupid. <laughs> that is stupid. And I like oh. these Batman fanatics oh, who make man. him into something yes. else. I'm just like, 
yes, Batman, he's a great figure. He's a wonderful character. Yes. I enjoy him. It's not that I dislike him, but this is ridiculous. Like, it's, there is no hey, hey, hey. way he wins these battles. <laughs> Sorry. Hey, one, of, one of the greatest holiday movies of all time is basically Home Alone. It's talking about this boy. Right, who basically sets up these booby traps to take down two professional thieves? Okay, mm-hmm. Batman is the Kevin McAllister of the superhero <laughs> universe. Yeah, but you give him enough prep time, Macaulay and he can make Culkin's, you a very Macaulay entertaining. Culkin's opponents were idiots. Joe Pesci, <laughs> come on. What were they? The the, the, the something bandits. Uh, the wet bandits. I think Batman is a compelling character. Don't totally, get me wrong. Totally, totally compelling. compelling. Very good backstory. Like really, like. The darkness of it is really good. I love the Christopher Nolan trilogy films that they're mm-hmm. done super well. Really good. Um, some of the best superhero movies ever made. And that's even me saying I love MCU movies. But he's just overrated. Yes, this is an overrated question. He's just overrated. <laughs> Yeah. Not a who's the worst superhero, no. who's the most overrated, because Batman fans are ridiculous. Yes. It's like Patriots fans, like you say. Like, Don't right? even. <laughs> it's a raw subject right now. Oh, I can't even. Brady, like, honestly, I like, I think Brady is a really, like, he's the goat, right? Totally. But I just don't want to root for him because of Patriots fans. I get it. I get it. <laughs> Even though I'm a little offended right now, but I get it. I get it. Yeah, someone who loves Batman, I'm a little offended. Yes, too. dude, you guys, you guys are providing all of the reasons why Batman is the best. You have provided none for why he is the best. You gotta, you tell us, tell us why. Yes, please enlighten tell us, us. Why? Okay, so Clark, your favorite is Iron Man. Batman and Iron Man are the same person. No. No. Oh, yes and no. Yes and no. Yes and no. They're not. Tony Stark stands up in front of the crowd and says, hey, guys, I'm I am Iron, Iron Man. Man. <laughs> How are they the same person? That's something that Batman would never have the gall to do. No, he doesn't have the guts for it. Iron Man is so much gutsier. The reasons why you love Iron Man are exactly the reasons why Batman is great. Billionaire, just a man. Yes. Technology. Okay, but okay, here's the other thing. Like... I don't. This is what Mike and I were saying. Batman's essentially an anti-hero, because at least Tony Stark, people know who he is. People know who Iron Man is, and he cooperates. Well, not all the time, but at least he, he, he works with Shield. Yeah, yeah. Ish. He does not cooperate with the law. There was a whole movie called Civil War about it. Okay, there's a movie also called Civil War where he's cooperating <laughs> with the authorities. Yeah, Civil War. Tony Stark's the one who's going along with it. Which is totally that's in line true. with the comics too. So yep. that's where like I don't get Cap's the anti-hero in that one. Exactly, which is like really Weird. interesting. Yeah, which is why would... Cap is better. But anyway, uh huh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> which we can talk about that storyline later. Sometimes I wonder should they have been switched? But I I get it. Yeah, I um, know they really should have. I thought that too. Friendship, guys. Yes, it's friendship. <laughs> okay, but Batman, how's he not an anti-hero? Because he saves the world. Pretty obvious. Yeah, that's the... So so does Venom. So does Thanos. What? <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm not with you I on that one, you Clark. Mis- That's a little too far. <laughs> I think you misunderstood those movies. You know, when he snapped his fingers, people died. He, he snaps they half the world dusted. to save the world. Come on, Thanos right. is the hero By the in way, this movie. The, the fact that you're using that as an argument for this, you're just digging yourself right, a grave right now. Guys, we need to talk about anti-heroes in our next episode. Uh, um, Because that's a bigger topic. It is, it is. Right. But yes, Batman is 
crazy awesome. His storylines are the best. He has the best television shows, both the 60s or 70s at, um, Adam West series is the best. <laughs> so much, so much joy. Okay, so much joy. It's a cultural institution. The animated series, same thing, cultural institution when it comes to like the bar. The movies, come on. You also got to admit, Batman's taking some bad turns, like Clooney with the, uh, <laughs> the nipple suit. I don't even know if I'm allowed to say Clooney? that on this And what podcast, is the nipple suit? Everyone who knows Batman knows what I'm talking about. All right, so here's a deep cut, and Kevin's going to have a really hard time disagreeing. Um, Darkwing Duck, better than Batman. What? Right? No. Just think about the, car- the car- We're just thinking cartoons. <laughs> Darkwing Duck, totally like. Even Clark disagrees with you on this one. Oh come on! You have flung yourself off a cliff, and no one has. I mean, maybe when I was five. (laughs) I'm I'm not talking in whole. I'm talking about like the when you were five, the cartoons when we were teenagers. (laughs) What? No. Okay. I was watching the animated series and definitely had graduated from Darkwing Duck by then. I. Me too. (laughs) I'm sorry. No, Darkwing Duck. The, the Darkwing Duck cartoons are better than the Batman cartoons. <laughs> Granted, I have not gone back and watched either since I was probably 12. But oh. in, my, in my nostalgia, Darkwing Duck cartoons better than the Batman cartoon. That is unbelievable. <laughs> so thanks for tuning in to Thanos to Theos. This is the end of our podcast. That is the one thing that I find unbelievable. Everything else I kind of get, but Darkwing Duck over the Ad- Batman animated series. Oh my goodness. I'm, I'm, I'm not. I'm just trying to throw stuff out there to agitate yeah. you, and it is so working. <laughs> I don't even think I believe that, but this is so good to make you angry. <laughs> oh, oh, I can't. I can't even. That's that's our second goal of the podcast is to get on Kevin's skin. <laughs> I just like to make Kevin mad. <laughs> Kevin and Mike going at it. Seriously. I'm, this I'm is, the mediator. This is why I made Clark say that Batman's overrated. Yeah, I don't know if you've convinced me, though, Kevin, at what, if you know Batman is not overrated. He's the most interesting superhero, oh, no, which I'll, is why there I'll is so that. much stuff about I know. How that. could overrated and most interesting exist on the same plane? Like Those are contradictions. Beca- because, they're not. They're totally different. Yeah. They're different think, words for a reason. Yes. He's a compelling character, but he's overrated in terms of his like ability, his power, who he can go toe-to-toe with. Yep. I mean, I, I think Spider-Man could beat Batman. You know, and Spider-Man... I actually I'm, would I, love to see a comic book series. Oh, yeah. Of Spider-Man versus Batman. I mean, I be. love Spidey, but Spidey is not the most powerful superhero. Like, Spider-Man could beat Batman. No, he can't. <laughs> you give you give Batman enough prep time, and he can yeah. take down Spider-Man. <laughs> So Batman will know three days in advance when Spider-Man comes to beat him down. Yeah, I'll just send him yeah, a text he's a, message. He's a detective. He's a detective. He's, got, he's like a mentalist. He's got all these things figured out beforehand. That's Batman's advantage. He's not just strong, agile, rich. See, Kevin, you are proving why Batman fans are so obnoxious. Uh, he's also got the brains. No, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. Maybe in your version of Batman. All the versions of Batman. <laughs> okay, here's the other thing I don't. Here's the other thing I don't understand. He, I mean, before he was Batman, he was just like 
he was Wayne Enterprise CEO, right? Uh-huh. How is he all of a sudden like the world's greatest detective? The League of Sh- Shadows, League of Secrets, whatever. Shadows. Made him into like the best detective. I gave him the best detective school and training. That and the yeah. writer of the comic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so like I was wa- I was reading the Hush series for Batman on the comics. It was really interesting, well written and everything, but like I already was able to figure out the identity of the main villain like halfway through the series. And I'm like, well, how can the reader figure out this? And Batman's the world's greatest detective and he has no idea. Because you're seeing things that he doesn't see inside the comic book. <laughs> but no, it wasn't what are you, what are you written talking about? It wasn't written that way. It wasn't written to give you sneak peeks behind the scenes mike is saying he's better than batman now. pretty much I, I yeah know. Like, yeah, I'm I, like, am. I am uh, i think this has gone too far it's gone too far <laughs> first it was darkwing duck is better than batman and now it's mike mcgarry okay even batman. i don't actually believe that i was just trying to right. get a rise out of you <laughs> all right i am vengeance i am the knight i am batman maybe it's time to move on um i think so so as we're as we are thinking about how to do ministry in the midst of this pandemic coronavirus uh, as we're all now on shut in and quarantined um and as we're trying to find creative ways to still minister to our students and our churches we're obviously having to rethink how we do ministry now yeah one thing totally. though that's yeah one thing that I think is interesting to think about is how might this cause us to rethink how we do ministry even after the pandemic's over. Um, and this is a, this is actually something that Kevin brought up as we were talking earlier um, that was that's mentioned at the end of Tony Payne's book, The Trellis, Trellis in the Vine, uh, which was written in 2009. And he concludes the book with this quote. He says, uh, imagine a swine flu pandemic makes headlines around the world. Imagine that the pandemic swept through your part of the world and that all public assemblies of more than three people were banned by the government for reasons of public health and safety. And let's say that due to some catastrophic combination of local circumstances, this ban had to remain in place for 18 months. How would your congregation of 120 members continue to function? No regular church gatherings of any kind, no home groups. How would you respond? Um, and when I first read that, I was thinking like, wow, that's scarily kind of prophetic because uh, this is where we are right now. A little bit different because we can't meet at all, um, not just three or three or less, but not at all. But there is this, this same question of how do we do church in a time of pandemic and what's going to happen after the fact? So, so this is a really interesting conversation, and I think it's one that even if uh, you're listening to this and the pa- the pandemic's over, there will probably be lasting effects after our quarantine and after the pandemic. So are you guys being caused to rethink your ministry and how you do it in the midst of this? And even going back to ministry when it's all over, God willing, when that is, um, how you might rethink it? Yeah, I think one of the things that I've really been reevaluating is how am I meaningfully equipping parents to lead in uh, family conversations and mm. discipleship? And I mean, yeah, it's like one of these things that we say is a huge value in youth ministry is partnering with parents and equipping them to be the lead influencers on their kids' lives. Uh-huh. And I feel like if we can't figure that out now, <laughs> when families yeah. are stuck home together, yeah. then 
either it's impossible to figure out or we don't really mean it when we yeah. say that this is a priority. That's a really good point. Right? Yeah. Um, and so I see all these um, discussion boards and whatever talking about how to play games online. We talked about that la- last week. <laughs> right, right. You know, um, and, and that's good and fine and all. Um, but it's like... I, are we so focused on trying to recreate the youth group experience mm. over Zoom that we're not capitalizing on this opportunity to to really partner in a very intentional way with parents mm. to say, hey, you know what? Like maybe my role as the youth minister is shifting a little bit. Yeah. Um so that when I can't meet with the students, I'm equipping the parents to do that. Mm-hmm. And I'm equipping my youth leaders to multiply themselves. So it's like these these things that we say in ministry are priority and are really important. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't know. Um, I, I've I've tried to throw as much of my emphasis there uh, as I can because I just I don't know. I, I think that's a, a better long term investment that's really forced me to to reevaluate and think about. That's a really good point. <laughs> Let me just say that's. That's a really good point because I think a lot of people are trying to think right now, how do we maintain the programmatic side of ministry right now over Zoom? Um, And this is essentially Tony Payne's point in his book, in his conclusion, instead of thinking about what does this mean now for discipleship? And like you said, if we do say the parents are the primary disciplers in youth ministry, this is like the one of the few chances where we have, we, we can show that this really is what we believe in uh, and we're putting all our eggs in our basket right now in that in this time. Yeah. And I mean, I know parents, I mean, so my son, my oldest is 12, so he's in sixth grade. Um, so I am youth pastor dad. Uh-huh. Um, and so I mean, it's like, I, I get it. Um, I mean, things are crazy. We're getting all these emails from school and teachers and um, trying to work from home. And it's not like people are just sitting around <laughs> waiting for their youth pastor to give them, you know, Bible studies and lead right. this and do this. And like, but to give people easy resources to set them up um, with their kids, you know? So the main thing I'm doing right now is instead of a, you know, 20 to 25 minute message on Sunday nights, mm-hmm. um, I'm breaking it down into uh, two, five to seven minute YouTube videos each week. Uh-huh. And giving a, a few different discussion questions um, that either small group leaders or parents can use uh, to, um, you know, whether they watch the video together um, or just have their, their kid watch the video at some point in the day and the parents watch the video at some point in the day. And, hey, we're going to talk about it during dinner. Mm-hmm. Um, you're providing a, a simple resource. It's only a few minutes long. Right. I'm giving you some discussion questions to ask. This is simple. This is not adding a significant weight to your list of things to do mm-hmm. um, while also recognizing, look, I know that you're not all going to do these and you're going to miss some of the videos and that's fine. Um, so giving p- parents grace if they don't take advantage of it, but trying to speak right. that into the situation. Um, oh, that, that's just how I've been rethinking it. And I think it's been... I don't know. It, it's been helpful for me, and I've gotten good response from parents who have taken advantage of it so yeah, far. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I've been rethinking like how we approach 
um, the spiritual disciplines with our students um, and sort of how we think through how our particular discipleship model helps them to actually have a relationship with the Lord on their own. Because again, there's, there's a sense in which like spiritual things happen at church. And as long as mm-hmm. it looks like there's a positive response at church, then we must be doing our job. Mm-hmm. But what happens when, you know, you can't gather at church anymore? But how do we encourage and give them the tools to be able to have a vibrant spiritual life apart from the physical gathering of the church? Because in one sense, that's, that's the accountability that you have. But in another sense, I, I've been questioning whether or not that they've had the, the tools and the encouragement um, and really the... Um, What's the word I'm looking for? Um, whether or not that we've been really putting into them the urgency of why they need to mm-hmm. build sort of the, their own um, faith at home. Um, so I think that's something that I've been rethinking in terms of like, how mm-hmm. do we make sure that that's a part of our discussions to the degree where the students understand that that's like the main thing. And I would, I would add to that even like that's, I don't need, I don't think that's even just a youth ministry problem excuse me i think like as a worship pastor and still in student ministry too but i see that to be probably the main issue facing churches today generally um because we just i mean even just thinking about like running our worship services right now before then then how we used to um even just to run a simple live stream with as few people as possible, it still requires so much manpower and logistics and technical support. And not that I'm saying we shouldn't do those things, but it just reminds me how much that when we emphasize the programmatic and events and activity of church as like an organization, um, how much it really does pull me away from the like the church in relationship with one another side of ministry. Um, and I feel like that's something that this current pandemic is causing churches as a whole to consider, uh, to rethink is have we just become overly dependent on programs and events or church activity? Well, and I think that's one of the things that Charles and the Vine was trying to address, isn't it? Um, hence the example that is our current reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is like how much are we program-driven ministry. Yeah, and he says later on in this conclusion, he says, um, he says, there would be no services to run, no committees, no parish council, no seminars, no small groups, no working bees. In fact, no group activities or events of any kind to organize, administer, drum up, support for, or attend. There would be just personal discipling and training your people in turn to be disciple makers. That's on page 167 of the book. Um, and I, I feel like that's even, um, you know, like we talked, we talked about last time, like what, what is the reason behind the pandemic and what does God want to do in us and in the church and our students? And to me as a worship pastor, this is what I feel like this is the opportunity God is giving the church, at least here on American soil to be refined in is to really ask the question, have we become overly dependent on these programmatic things? And we've lost the sense of what church is when you strip all that away when it is just all relationships. Um, And it's just, I think it's hard for us because, you know, when we come out of this, it, it may feel like it'll be easy to just go back to church as it was, 
because we're paid full time to do our jobs and keep these ministries running. Um, but one of the questions I've even had in this time is, it, as a full-time employee in my church, as a pastoral staff, when I'm not managing all these programs and logistics, what is now my role? And it's really caused me to even reconsider, am I, am I doing shepherding and am I pastoring? Am I discipling um, when you strip all that away? Ouch. That's a hard question, right? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean, I'm going to be honest. That, that's something that I've been um, struggling with in the last few days is yeah, thinking through, like, how many students am I really investing in? And mm-hmm. part of my struggle is that I'm still fairly new at my church. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think I probably need to give myself more grace than I have been because um, those relationships take time to get deep and meaningful and whatever. Um, but I also don't want to just let that be a cop out. I wish I had an answer. Instead, <laughs> it, yeah. I, you know, so I feel like you're, you guys are on the other side, like Mike, like give us some info. I'm like, that's all I got. Like, <laughs> I, I don't know. You know, like what, what does <laughs> your laughter is so comforting. Yeah. <laughs> But this is the benefit of. Hey this. guys, I just want, guys, I just want to let you know that I'm sitting in my home office recording this right now, and there's I a turkey just, outside. I literally just saw a turkey walk by. <laughs> yes, of course. Yes. Yep. At some point, we're gonna put those pictures uh, on the show notes. Mike's daily yeah. wildlife. Tiger King, you can be Turkey King. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. You were saying, Kevin? Uh, I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> I, I blew it up with a turkey. <laughs> uh, what was I saying? Oh, yeah. Um, this is the benefit, one of the benefits of this particular time that we're in, that we have the opportunity to talk about it mm-hmm. and to not feel like we have to have all of the answers because I think we're so used to doing church this way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Yeah, you're the, right. For the first time, yep. we're all being forced in a place where, like, yeah. Everyone is trying everything. And I think a lot of our instincts is to go back to, all right, well, how do we do church virtually? Right, right, right. Yeah. So that's where, and it's harder because it's not meant to be done that right. way. So we're bending tools and systems. Can, can, I, can I push on that a little bit and say, it's been funny for me because you have all these reformed folk who are now live streaming their services. <laughs> yeah, right. And we've been so anti-live stream um, because that's not the way that God wants it. And now we're all live streaming. So how, <clears throat> even me saying that's not the way God wants it, like I'm saying that tongue in cheek, right? So mm-hmm. how, do, how, do you, how are you guys and your churches and just what you hear ear to the ground type of thing, um, how does live stream and all that affect the way you're doing ministry and what do you envision moving forward after the quarantine ban? Cause my suspicion is I think a lot of churches are going to go, Oh, Holy cow. This wasn't as terrible and heretical as I thought. Um, <laughs> and I, I'm just trying to think through like, what are the ramifications of live stream and ministry and where do you see that leading moving forward? Maybe that's another question for another episode. Yeah. I don't know. That's but a really good what question. Are your thoughts? That is a good question. That's a really but good I question. mean, briefly, 
briefly, I think there will be definitely lots of people who are like, oh, yeah, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But that's if their only goal is to try to replicate their Sunday worship experience. Right, right. Because you can get better at that for sure. Yes. But if the question is whether or not you're discipling your people well, yeah, I think that's not the answer. Yeah, and I think that's where a lot of... Like a lot of people are looking to the big mega churches right now for like, oh, how do you do it? Because they've been doing it, right? They have the support and technology and the means to do it. Um, something that I think, though, that it's revealing is just how dependent we've become on like the one leader model of church. Um, and I don't mean like, you know, we shouldn't have leaders, but like it, it's all about like who's the one guy that's going to get up and lead music and then the second guy that's going to get up and preach. And that's church to us. So that's what we're thinking about replicating. Um, and I think this is uh, this is where I, I do think, and some people may have different views, but at least for me in my field of missiology, this is where I'm often thinking. Um, while Paul gave the church elders and leaders and pastors to shepherd and teach and equip and train the church, he didn't say that you know it had to be one guy who give who does all the teaching and one guy that leads everything i mean the elders collectively teach and equip and and so i just i just sometimes wonder if we've we've gotten so used to like a head teaching pastor who's the face of the church that like we need them to run kind of what kevin was saying versus like how do the elders collectively teach and train and shepherd the the saints to equip them for the work of ministry um I so think isn't that, that just a mil- uh, adapted multi-site church model then? Uh, in some ways, it is, actually. I think so. But I, I, I think in other ways, it's more of like what a lot of people have referred to as like a cell church. Um, yep. Where at least when I was on the mission field, you know, I saw this all the time. You'd have a collective of elders over a, uh, over a church, especially in China where the church was underground. But, you know, they didn't even have back then, they didn't have the video means um, to do this. But they would send these elders across the different house churches to visit like the house church leaders. And these elders would equip and train the house church leaders. So I just thought it was it was a really fascinating way of doing church because it was much more decentralized. It was smaller because they had to be. Um, And I I kind of think like that's something that this pandemic is showing us just how just how much we become dependent on the centralized gathering. Not to say that we shouldn't do it or can't do it, but maybe our dependency on it is crippling us. Yeah. I think there's so much that we could um, digest about what we're learning and what mm-hmm. we're evaluating right now. Um, I mean, this could probably be a regular feature, <laughs> a conversation that we have yeah. every other week on this on this podcast for this season because mm-hmm. uh, there's so much to really dig into and explore um, I think it's been helpful to think about. Um, my hunch is that no one is going to go back to the way things were before, hmm. you know, because when we when we adapt and modify things for the season, um, this isn't going to be a short season. It's, it's at least going to be a few more months because when they do lift quarantine, it's going to be OK. So now you can meet in groups of 25 and then groups of 50. It's not going to be cap lifted now everything go back to normal Mm -hmm. it's going to be a scaled type of thing 
Mm-hmm. Um, and my hunch is there's going to be things that we do in the season that are more effective than what we were doing before that we're going to want to keep. Right, right. So you're going to have to change some things moving forward to make room for what we've learned. Any concluding thoughts? Is that a good place to end? That's a, that's a great <laughs> place to end. I think so. Yeah. yeah, we're not trying to provide answers. No, no, no. Yeah. No, I was just trying to think of a way to wrap it up because I think too. we could yeah. talk about this forever. Yeah. Well, thanks guys for tuning in to another episode of Thanos to Theos, especially as we're continuing in quarantine, uh, as we're rethinking both superheroes and who's overrated and not. Uh, hope we didn't offend you too much, but also as we rethink, we rethink ministry um, and just what this is what the implication of this will have for us going forward. I hope you're all doing well, staying safe, uh, and continue to be filled with the grace of Christ and the Holy Spirit. Um, Thanks for tuning in. Good having you guys on. See you guys later. Bye. Bye. Wash your hands. Thanks for listening to this episode of Thanos to Theos, part of the Rooted Network family of podcasts. For more resources designed to equip and encourage you to faithfully disciple students towards lifelong faith in Jesus Christ, Be sure to find Rooted on the web at www.rootedministry.com.